Easter Sunday is a day in the year when people are confronted by the story of the resurrection of Jesus. It's a special day where people even outside the church at least think about it for once maybe in the year. And being so confronted, people react in many different ways. Some, like we are this morning, worship and praise. Some consider. Some are decidedly sceptical. And I'm sure there are many other responses as well. Well, in Matthew chapter 28, you get four, at least four, different responses to the resurrection. And that's what we're going to look at today. Various responses to what happened when people became aware that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And we're going to begin with the women. And I want to begin with the women because the women in the gospel story are better than the men. They really are. I'm going to put on my feminist hat, okay? They beat the disciples' hands down. At the death of the crucifixion, who hangs around? Who doesn't run away? It's the women. It's the women who are at the cross. While the men have, as that great word used in the Civil War, have skidaddled out of the way. Skidaddled out of the way. And at the resurrection, it's the group of women who come to the grave. I want to say, in a day and age that these women lived, and this gospel was written in the first century, women weren't highly regarded. But I tell you, the word of God here really puts them on a high pedestal. They are the heroes of this story. They come to the tomb group of women. They've seen Jesus die. And we've got to ask the question, why do they come? I think it might include they loved Jesus. They loved him. They got to know him. They wanted to show respect. They wanted to mourn his loss. They didn't expect him to be alive. They didn't expect that at all guaranteed. They came to anoint the dead body. They did it like going to a, a wake or a funeral. They loved him. They'd been attracted by the depth of his spiritual teaching. They'd been attracted by the depth of his own spirituality. And they decide they are going to honour him. It's going to be a risk. Could they be arrested? We don't know. But they were coming anyway. They got it wrong. They thought he was still dead. They were imperfect. But their love brought them and compelled them to come. And when they come, even in their imperfection, what you have is that love turns into faith. Love 
turns into faith. The angel appears to them. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. He said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. He'd said it a number of times, but it didn't click. It's like that with us. Repetition is really good for learning. You don't tell kids once to do something. And then, whoa, I told you that. No, no, you've got to repeat it. You've got to repeat it. And the angel then shows some of the evidence. They've come with love, but now their mind is being challenged with evidence. He shows them the evidence of the empty tomb. And then they meet the risen Christ themselves. Love for Christ becomes a total faith in Christ. They knew there was something different about him. They knew he was unique. They knew of his high morality. And now they continue the journey of this relationship they have with him. This adventure they have with him. I want to describe the Christian life. One of the best descriptions, I think, of the Christian life is an adventure. It's the pilgrim's progress. You go from one place to another place. You get different views. They're different adventures. I don't know how many of you have been on adventures lately. When I was younger, I loved adventures. I loved going to different places. I remember hitchhiking round France with my friend. Do you know what it was? It was an adventure. As we got stuck at the side of the road, as we couldn't speak French, as we slept in woods, all these things, all these things were really an adventure. I believe the Christian walk is an adventure. It is not just now I've started going to church. It is an adventure. And if you're not having adventures, there is something wrong. Something wrong. We need adventures. So the women came and continued the adventure. The second group are the religious leaders, which include the Pharisees, and the chief priests. Now, we all know how they were going to respond. They'd already decided. For the last three years, they had been opposed totally to Jesus Christ. And they're not going to change their views. Then it's not happening. Not happening at all. It doesn't matter about the evidence. It doesn't matter about everything. They're not going to change. Listen to the words, sir, they said. We remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. The deceiver. They'd made up their mind. Christ was a deceiver and a charlatan. And they remembered that he had taught. Do you know, they remembered even better than the disciples and the women remembered. The disciples and the women forgot about the resurrection. But these people who were anti him didn't. 
but they weren't going to believe it. It wasn't happening. So they make something up. They want to make sure, firstly, that the disciples don't steal the body. And when the body goes missing, then they get the conspiracy theory going. They tell the guards the fake story. Listen. You are to say, they say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. These people weren't interested in evidence at all. Not interested. They were not looking to find evidence. They worked and reacted out of hatred and prejudice. The opposite of the women. They create their own first century conspiracy theory. And you know these conspiracy theories that we deal with today, they're not new. They've been around for hundreds and thousands of years. And this conspiracy theory that the disciples came and, and stole the body gives them cover to continue to hate. They want a foundation to hate. The foundation, of course, is false, but it'll give them cover. It'll help them. And this is not just true about Christianity, as we know. We live today in the 21st century at a time when conspiracy theory is absolutely everywhere. Everywhere. I've spoken about it in the past. I, I keep warning each and every one of you about it. Social media. YouTube. Now, I'm really tempted with YouTube. I love videos, all sorts of videos. They can take up hours. That's the problem. You've got to be very careful. But YouTube's very interesting. YouTube's powerful recommendation algorithm pushes its two billion monthly users to videos it thinks they will watch. Two billion people. Incredible. And then if you like this, then you're going to like this, and it'll take you to that, and that'll take you to that. And what? it's not giving you a wide scope, it's giving you a narrower scope. Till that's all you're reading is these conspiracy theories. It's amazing. The conspiracy, the, the company has said that its recommendations drive over 70% of more than 1 billion hours people spend watching YouTube videos each day. Each day. And people think, I'm doing my own research. I'm finding all this out. No, you're not. You're being guided. And then you and, and in the end, you can cherry pick what you like. What you like. And these conspiracy theories get thousands of views. I quote, the study, a certain study was made into this. The study highlights a potpourri of paranoia and delusion. Some videos claim that angels are hidden beneath the ice in the Antarctic. I wouldn't want to be one of those angels. I tell you that now. Photos from Mars prove that it once had a civilization. Emmanuel Macron is the Antichrist. 
And uh, do you see that time? And you, you see that you've got them both coming up there? All right. I convinced some of you that he is now. <laughs> and, and, with Emmanuel Macron, he earned 66.06% of the vote. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. People believe this. I've already talked in the past about QAnon. Fueling anger across the nation. There are people who say that the 20 kids who were killed at Sandy Hook, it never happened. It was a hoax. The guy who says that claims to be a Christian. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. And I could go on. I'm saying it because these sort of things have always been around. Always been around. And we need to ask questions. And I'm saying, with the resurrection, ask the questions. It's okay. Ask the questions. Ask why the disciples believed. Ask why the women believed. Ask the hard questions. This is a church. You can ask hard questions. It's okay. It's okay. Chief priests, they were just going to live with their conspiracy theories. And there was no changing them. Very hard to change people who've made up their mind with all the different conspiracy theories that are around. Thirdly, there are the soldiers. This is really interesting. The soldiers are really interesting. They're really interesting because they see the angel and the earthquake. They see it. Yet they still don't believe. Do you know lots of people say, oh, show me a miracle and I will believe. No, you won't. It's not enough in and of itself. They'll make another excuse. They'll get round the evidence. And this is exactly what they do. So the soldiers, we read, took the money and did as they were instructed. They listened to the chief priests and said, yeah, yeah, we, we, we'll pass on that story. But we're going to take the money. And in verse 12, it's a large sum of money. And it's worth noting here that, you know, money drives people. Seriously. It drives people. It is powerful. The seeking of wealth, the seeking of pleasure drives people. And what's in their mind is not the truth. It's how much money can they get. That's what it's all about. And today, you ask people, what do you want to do? I want to be rich. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to have lots of this. I want the best of this. And it's powerful and so powerful that it becomes first. It becomes the conquering desire of the soul. Jesus notes his power. Matthew 6. You cannot serve both God and money. The old King James Version. You cannot serve both God and mammon. 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Powerful. And this is what happens. They don't believe, not because there isn't evidence. They've been confronted with some of the evidence. But the power for the wealth takes over. 
And I'm reminded immediately of the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. What was sown among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. There's a danger in wealth. I'm not against wealth. Please, I'm not. But wealth in and of itself will not make you happy. Poverty will not make you happy either. Please, don't get me wrong. I think money's good. I think we should help people when, when they haven't got enough money and we could go on about that. But money and wealth by itself doesn't work. It's amazing what people worship today. Some people worship their home. Some people worship their car. Some people worship their vacations. Not so much over the last year. <laughs> All right. They're going to make up with, I don't know how much you, I watch the news and, and read regularly on the news. It's amazing. The people now really going on vacations are the over 65s. They are just getting out there. Cruises full of over 65s, doubly vaccinated and having a great time. It's fashion. Everything is fashion. Nothing wrong with fashion. It's great. But that's the main thing. Other people, gadgets. They've got to have the latest gadget. Gadget for this, gadget for that. This was going to make me happy. Or just go shopping. I like shopping, as long as it's food shopping. I love food shopping. Don't ask me why. I don't know. I don't like any other sort of shopping. I love food shopping. Love it. And it's okay. It's good. But the deceitfulness of wealth is the problem. It breaks up your life. And as Christians... We must be very careful. Last week, I watched another great movie. This is another recommendation for you. This is one of my favourite movies. John Houston, Humphrey Bogart, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. How many of you have seen it? I always ask how many have seen this. Goodness, we've only got one and a half. I can, one, one person, I'm not sure Joshua if he's seen it or not. All right? But uh, Jim has seen it there. I tell you, it's a modern parable. When I mean modern, it's probably the late 1940s and 1950s, but you know what I mean. And it's the story of three men who look for gold in Mexico. And as they find the gold, they decide to come back. And then the gold and the lust for one another's gold breaks everything up. And they end up, one of them ends up being killed, etc., etc. It's a brilliant parable. I won't spoil the movie. I do recommend it very much to, to you. Soldiers. Wasn't the evidence? It's the money. Lastly, the disciples. We read of the disciples that they went to Galilee to a mountain. They saw Jesus. And then verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. That's an honest an honest verse. Some doubted. We know, of course, that Thomas doubted. He could not believe it. He wanted to believe it, but he couldn't believe it. It was too hard to believe. Too hard. And again, I want to repeat. There are times when we doubt. The best Christians have doubted. It's okay. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. Not the end of the world. As I said earlier, you can ask the hard questions. And sometimes there are good, easy answers that you've never thought of. Sometimes there aren't. That's how it is. Why do we doubt? 
There's lots of reasons, no one reason. One reason for us here in 21st century Massachusetts is that we breathe secular air. We read secular words. We see secular TV where God is pushed to the side. We don't live in North Korea or Indonesia or Afghanistan, but we breathe the air of secularism that puts God out of the picture. The church in the media is often patronized. It's not taken seriously. We're like a remnant of a lost civilization who people say, oh, nice for you, nice for the churches that have an Easter, lovely, good, good, you, you carry on. But they don't take us seriously. And do you know it affects people? It affects people. That's why we need fellowship, by the way. We need fellowship. We need one another because at times we need to breathe spiritual air. We need to come up for air, as it were. We need to worship. We need to sing. We need to share with one another. It is good that we are together. And most of us have come to the conclusion that this pandemic, one of the hardest things that we have gone through in the pandemic, is that we've been separated from one another. Well, the time is coming when this pandemic will be over. And I want to challenge those of you who are listening, those of you maybe who haven't been to this church, I know many of you have listened and are listening online. I want to challenge you, when it's safe, come on down. <laughs> come on down. Come and join us. We love to see you. Now, you might be thinking, I'm, I'm trying to push the gospel on you. Yes, I am. I'm definitely trying to convert you. I am. If I can't try and convert you on Easter, I might as well give up. All right? So I want to invite you over the next few months, when it's safer, to come on down and come and have fellowship with us. Join with us in a great cause. Give your life to, for something that will last forever. The disciples did that. They had their doubts. Come with your doubts. Let me tell you this. I can't sort everything out before you come. I can't do that. Actually, I can't even sort everything out when you come. But I tell you, fellowship warms the soul. Warms. We used to be a touchy-feely church. Do you remember those days? <laughs> With handshakes and hugs and all those days. Those days are coming back. They're coming back. So I want to tell you, get vaccinated if you can as well, okay? Get vaccinated so that you are safe. We want you to be safe. Yep, we need to be together. Christianity isn't just something you believe by yourself. It's personal, but it's also fellowship and communal as well. Christ came back alive from the dead through the resurrection to form a community of people. We are the descendants of that community of people. And I still believe in a post-truth age, it's true. He is alive. He is risen. Hallelujah! 
Hallelujah. He is alive. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that what we believe is truth. Lord, I'm still a believer because it's true. And Father, I pray that you might take these words and use them wherever they land to bring others to the fellowship of this community and to the fellowship of yourself. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.